0: This is Isaiah 43 through 5. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare a way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of our Lord has spoken.
1: Today is the first Sunday of Advent. The word Advent simply means the the coming of an anticipated person or event. In the Christian church calendar, it refers to the season that spans the four Sundays before Christmas. It is a season of preparation and anticipation of the celebration of Christmas, the birth of Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, God used his prophets to announce Christ would come. This is why Jesus, in John five, thirty nine, told the Pharisees that the scriptures speak of him. We worship a God who cannot break his promises. What um, he promises, he will do. Knowing this is the source of our hope as Christians. That is why today we light the first, um, the first candle known as the hope candle or the prophecy candle. We light it with a deep sense of hope that God is with us and always fulfills his promises, which includes the second coming of Christ.
0: The people who walked in darkness have seen great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Let us pray. Dear Father God, thank you so much that we can gather here today just to... um, have this time and remember you. Um, Father God, um, I just pray that as we go into this season of Advent, I pray that even in the times where we feel silence, God, I just pray that we will remember that you are not far from us. Father, I just pray that we will trust you throughout everything. In Christ's name, amen.
2: Uh, Without further ado, uh, we are in the season of Advent. I, I don't know if you could tell by any of the decor, but... We are in full swing, like Christmas mode. Uh, You will definitely hear as the month goes on, uh, we are going to have Christmas songs being sung uh, in this whole entire month, Uh, and hopefully we'll have just enough snow where it's fun for the kids and tolerable for the adults. Yeah? Amen. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, what are you looking forward to? I want to ask this question. What are you waiting for?
3: That, that wasn't a rhetorical question. What are you waiting for, Ed? Relief. Relief. Okay. Anybody else? What are you looking forward to?
2: Joa? Yeah! That's what I'm talking about. Enough to build bricks. Uh, anybody else? One more. Rest. Yeah. Oh, let's wait for it. <laughs> the season's just getting started. <laughs> uh, yeah, No, those are really good things uh, to look forward to, uh, to wait for. Uh, I know when I was a kid, around this time of year, I, I actually really looked forward to the presents. I was surprised that with the kids that we had in here, nobody said presents, but I guess I'll, you know take the blame on that one. Uh, But no, I looked forward to presents so much so that I would actually go hunting for them in the house uh, when, you know, my dad was out doing chores. My mom was probably watching like a Hallmark special on CBS, Um, but I would rarely find them. But still, like, the anticipation for what I was going to get just killing me. And so, As we enter this this new Advent season, as we enter this new sermon series, um, we're going to walk through the season of Advent together as a church family. And and we're not only going to walk with you together uh, through the Advent season, but we are actually walking with the greater global church. Um, You see, in these weeks leading up to Christmas Day, the weeks of Advent, Um, This is something that the church has celebrated as early as, I think, late 4th century, about 380 A.D. Um, And though historically, like, church liturgy has not formally uh, addressed this in in a formal sense, um, the four weeks of Advent have symbolized the 400 years of darkness, the period after Malachi wrote the last book of the Old Testament. And when the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is known as the intertestamental period, the 400 years of silence and waiting. So, as we enter and celebrate this season of Advent, we are somewhat stepping into the shoes of God's people from the past, whereas they anticipated uh, the first coming. We are anticipating his second coming. Where they are looking forward to his arrival, we are looking forward to his return. So this morning, as we worship God together through his word, uh, let's open up our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, verses 15 through 19. Now, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament testament and it actually is the final book of moses he wrote the first five books and that's known as the pentateuch and so these five books are also referred to as the law um, because they contain laws and instructions given by god through moses to the people of israel and now you might be thinking uh jake you just pointed out the decorations like it snowed a couple weeks ago. Shouldn't we be talking about, like, the Christmas story? Like, shouldn't we be addressing, like, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the angels, the three wise men, and baby Jesus? Well, actually, the first five books of the Bible, they set up the foundation for the arrival of Jesus in Uh, in that God chooses and brings into existence the people and nation of Israel. And so as God's chosen people, Israel uh, becomes the medium by which God is going to bring about and preserve the Old Testament that we have right here. The people of Israel would be the recipients of God's covenant promises, and they'd be the people through which he would incarnate into human history to become the Messiah. That he would not only save the people of Israel, but he would save the entire world. and so God not only sets up uh, his own covenant people to stand on these promises, but again and again he sends prophet after prophet to remind them of his prophe- uh, of, of his promises and to call them to repentance and, co- and covenant faithfulness. Uh, so let's open up to Deuteronomy 18 verses 15 through 19. Uh, as we too are waiting for the prophet. And Moses is telling this to the people. He's at the end of his life, and he's sharing what God has spoken to him. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them, or he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So as I, as I mentioned, throughout the Old Testament, all the way from the fall in Genesis 3 to Malachi 3, uh, God uses prophecy to point towards the redemption, restoration, and ultimate salvation of his people. But what is Prophecy. And what are prophets? Like, who else in here, when you hear those terms, you you kind of think uh, some fortune teller with a crystal ball, or in some cases, you think of a cult leader, or if you're into fantasy, Gandalf. See, whereas throughout the world and in world cultures, that is how prophecy is displayed. That's not what it means in the Bible. You see, prophets served as the spokesmen for God, communicating his will to his people, calling them to repentance of sin and encouraging them to walk with him in covenant faithfulness. Now, while the biblical prophets did sometimes speak about future events, uh, they were far more than just mere fortune tellers. Uh, they were actually forth tellers, and And forth telling, uh, that is to proclaim a message directly from God, authoritatively, with clarity, truthfully. And you see, the prophets of God were Israelites who had radical encounters with his presence. And they were sent by God to go and speak his word on his behalf. And I didn't mention this earlier, but when it comes to Moses, uh, he's actually considered to be Israel's greatest prophet. Um, Moses is an Israelite uh, who, you know, by God's providence, is rescued from mass infanticide and is adopted by, of all people, Pharaoh's daughter. And so when he gets older, he's, he's grown up a little more, he sees an Egyptian master beating an Israelite slave. And so he rushes in, kills the guy, buries him, and runs for his life because of what he's just committed. He spends about 40 years uh, in the wilderness as a shepherd, and he encounters God in a burning bush that isn't being consumed by the fire. And so God commissions him to go and set the people of Israel free from slavery in Egypt. So then Moses goes, uh, reunites with his brother Aaron, and they end up performing miracles to try to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Pharaoh is obstinate. And so God ultimately ends up sending 10 plagues to kind of force his hand. And so Pharaoh finally relents. Uh, Moses is able to lead the people out of Egypt into freedom. Uh, He goes up and comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments for God's people. Now, if that's not like one of the greatest prophet origin stories ever. Like, you part a sea, like, I don't know what is. And, like, Israel, according to the Bible, had over 60 recorded prophets. So Moses is, like, one of the early and still one of the top. And for the most part, as we we look at the role of the prophet, what prophets cared about most— was the covenant relationship between God and the Israelites. And so as God had rescued and recovered his people from slavery in Egypt, he also invited them to become a nation that would represent his character to the rest of the world. And so this covenant relationship required that all Israelites would give their allegiance and full trust to God. But unfortunately... As we read through the rest of the Old Testament and throughout the Bible, that doesn't happen. Israel's leaders, their, uh, their kings, and even their priests fail, and they fall, and they lead people astray, and they break God's covenant. And this is where the prophet comes in. The prophet comes to remind the people of their role in the covenant. And so they do this in three primary ways. Uh, The first thing they do, uh, seeing as they are sent by God, prophets would be constantly uh, confronting the people for violating the terms of the covenant with God. And so these violations consisted primarily of idolatry. Idolatry is taking something that is not God and putting it in the place of God. Uh, They would confront them for... uh, engaging in uh, unsanctioned alliances with foreign nations as they would begin to worship the foreign gods. Uh, And they would also be confronted about allowing for certain injustices to take place. Uh, One example of this is Amos. He's one of the minor prophets. And so he calls out the Jews in the northern kingdom for abusing. And the words that he uses, uh, he says, trampling, the poor, crushing and extorting those who are in the most dire need, while simultaneously addressing and condemning them for their idolatry, that is the worshiping of false gods, instead of giving their whole heart to God. Second, the prophets also called for the people to repent. Uh, now, we've talked about this here at Riverwood before, what repentance means, but for those of us, uh, perhaps, that are unfamiliar with the term, you know, or for some of us who kind of get this idea that like uh, uh, some guy on a street corner yelling at people with a sign that says the end is nigh on him, you know, he's just, avoid that guy. You know, To repent literally means to turn around. This call to repentance wasn't just, uh, don't do this or else. But it was also a reminder of God's mercy and willingness to forgive if they would just confess their sins and change their ways. But again, often, we see Israel would enter this kind of downward spiral of being enslaved to sin, cry out to God for help, God comes to the rescue. Thank God, forget God. What's this shiny new sin? And so essentially, this would be a cyclical pattern for generations to come. Uh, And it usually went from bad to worse, uh, as the Israelites nearly uh, thrust themselves into exile every time they could under the rule of other nations. And the third thing that prophets did primarily uh, was they would announce the consequences for breaking the covenant, which would also be referred to as the Day of the Lord. Now, they emphasized how God would deal justice against Israel for their own corruption, as well as the violent nations that surrounded them. And they would sometimes communicate this using uh, this kind of cosmic imagery, uh, like the land devolving into chaos and disorder. The, the sun going dark, the stars falling from the sky, real like apocalypse type stuff. They'd use this to explain what was going on in their own local context and how God would inevitably judge evil, wickedness, and corruption in all of creation. And overall, this imagery showed how important the events of their day actually fit into the greater story of God's mission to eliminate sin corruption, injustice, and violence once and for all. They cared about both the present and the future, which this kind of imagery allowed for them to talk about both at the same time. But this not only pointed to judgment and consequences and exile, it also pointed toward the future hope and the return of those uh, in exile to the new Jerusalem, which is in the end, which would resemble uh, a new Garden of Eden, like in the beginning, with everyone living in peace with each other, uh, like all of the rest of creation, under the reign of a Messiah who would ultimately restore the Kingdom of God in the new creation. And the prophets weren't like all profound, like persuasive speakers. Uh, while while some were. Uh, Others tended to live on the outside, on the margins, uh, often performing strange but symbolic public feats to communicate what God was wanting the people to hear as they were confronted with their sin and as they were pointed back to their covenant relationship with him. And as some of these stunts were like, Extremely odd, like I'm talking uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, What he did was he like just laid in the dirt, basically built a model of Jerusalem being attacked by Babylon. Uh, And the prophet Isaiah walked around naked for three years to symbolize the humiliation of the exile. You want to know what's even weirder than that? The
3: people didn't even pay attention.
2: And they ignored them. Especially, they were they were shunned by the leaders, uh, and some were even killed because of the warnings they brought. And they weren't taken seriously, until the warnings came to pass in the Babylonian exile. And so, the overarching story of the prophets uh, would be one of both warnings of sin and exile. And hope of redemption and restoration. And God's prophets were his mouthpieces, his ambassadors to those who were far off from him. And, and for some of those who are a little more uh, well read in our Bible, you might be thinking, well, Jake, what about Jeremiah? Like, he was pretty reluctant to go and speak harshly and confront his people. And what about Jonah? Like, God told him to go preach the message of repentance to the Ninevites, and he just straight up, like, turned and ran. Like, I saw that (laughs) VeggieTales. I saw it, too, in theaters. Um, Can't tell if that's a brag or not. Uh, but, But one thing we have to remember is that while God chose his prophets, um, he didn't choose them on a, on a degree of like, oh, this is the most uh, qualified candidate for the job. You're hired or voluntold. Uh, no. Uh, it actually had nothing to do with the person. It had everything to do with the message.
3: And God, as we see throughout
2: the whole of Scripture, regularly chooses flawed and extremely Messed up people to communicate his perfect and timely message. And even in cases of Jeremiah and Jonah, uh, Jeremiah could not resist the divine compulsion to get the message to the people. And with Jonah, uh, he got caught in a storm, swallowed by a fish, spat upon the shore, and as much as he hated to do it, he preached a sorely lacking single sentence of impending doom to the Ninevites. And they reformed, like much to his surprise. If you read Jonah 4, you kind of see his disappointment in that. So why does this matter? I mean, it's, it's kind of been established throughout Judaism that Moses was and still remains to be Israel's greatest prophet. But how does Jesus fit into this? Well, let's look back at what Moses said. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, that is, a prophet like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then Moses repeats what God shared with him personally. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And so Moses, as God's mouthpiece in this moment, speaks of a prophet like him. And in Moses' context,
3: the people would have understood this prophecy to point to Joshua. Joshua came after Moses,
2: and Joshua did all these things. But how does it connect to Jesus? Well, remember what I said about prophecy is that it often has a dual purpose. It it tends to hold both the present and the future, um, the far off even, Future fulfillments in tandem. And keep in mind that Jesus was from among the people of Moses. He was fully Jewish. He was born impoverished. And he actually held a pretty common name. His name, Jesus, is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua, or in English... Joshua. And even as Jesus meets that criteria on a basic level, like Moses, he likewise has face-to-face encounters with God. He gives people words from God. And he even has the power to forgive and free people from sin. And if we look at the surrounding uh, context of this passage Moses is also dealing with two kinds of prophets. He's talking about true prophets and false prophets. You see, the true prophet will speak the words that God has given him, while the false prophet will presume to speak uh, the words that God himself did not, in fact, give him to say. True prophets, whatever they speak, will come to pass. False prophets Will presume to say something prophetic sounding, but it will ultimately not take
3: place. And so we're,
2: we're not talking even just about uh, vague prophecies. Like vague prophecies are off the table. Like, I prophesy you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get lunch today. Oh my gosh, he's right. I was gonna go get lunch. We had plans. Uh, I prophesied that you're going to take a long sleep sometime in the afternoon, maybe, maybe this evening. You know, just very vague stuff. No, the prophets of God spoke in clear detail. Like, after this morning's worship gathering, you are going to drive to El Sol in Waverly, Iowa, and you are going to sit in the southwest corner of the East Room, and the server is going to spill someone else's drink on your right arm. Oh, wait, hold on. (laughs) And you're going to tip them, still, but instead of tipping them 15%, like you felt obligated to give, you're going to tip them 51%, instead. Also, the sun is going to be reflected directly in your eyes, even though it's not in your line of sight. Like, prophets spoke in clarity. Like, even Jonah's short but but sweet, uh, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Nineveh will be overthrown. That was clear enough to get the message across. Mind you, in the Hebrew language, that's five words with that much clarity. But how does Jesus exactly fit into the role of the prophet that, that Moses is pointing to? Like, I mean, I, I already shared, like, Israel in the Old Testament had over 60 recorded prophets. How do we know that none of them were who Moses was talking about. I mean, we, we have Samuel, we have Nathan, Elijah, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, to name a few. And those are some of the top competitors. What makes Jesus so special? Well, as time went on throughout Israel's history, there came an expectation among the Jewish people of a final prophet. And as far as what we can see from uh, all of the things attributed to Jesus in the New Testament, from what the crowd said, uh, his contemporaries, they, they said, "This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee in Matthew 21:11." And in Luke 7:16, "A great prophet has arisen among us." So what caused these? Responses. Most scholars will actually note that it wasn't primarily Jesus' ability to teach or even foretell the future, but based on unanimous testimony of his miracles. I find it extremely fitting also that in that same verse, uh, the, the testimony which uh, Luke is drawing from uh, the eyewitnesses they even recall that people in the crowds exclaimed, God has visited his people. And even at the passage at the end of the chapter, Jesus is having a meal with Simon the Pharisee, who in his mind he just kind of has to reckon with and, uh, and consider Jesus' controversial role as a prophet. And then back in Matthew 21. The chief priests and even the Pharisees chose not to arrest Jesus because they feared the reaction of the crowds because they held Jesus to be a prophet. But even with all, all these people who maybe got you know a glimpse or a glance at Jesus performing a miracle, they didn't really know him. Like, what if, what if we consider, okay, what if we consider maybe some people who would have been more familiar with him? Uh, you know, Maybe folks who would have some more insight as to you know whether Jesus was kind of the real deal or not. Well, in Luke twenty-four, after his death on the cross and shortly after his resurrection, Jesus runs into a couple disciples named Cleopas and Simon on the road to Emmaus. And now the passage in in Luke twenty-four doesn't say whose disciples. They were. They weren't Jesus' own disciples. Um, but actually, in Jewish culture, discipleship was pretty common. Basically, what you would do is you would leave your job, you'd step away from your family, and you would go live with and learn from a rabbi, uh, and it was very much a 24-7, 365 deal. Uh, so when we see Jesus in the, in the New Testament, and he's got his disciples with him all the time, like that's actually a pretty common thing. It was a lifetime uh, commitment almost. And so, when it comes to these disciples on the road to Emmaus, we don't know whose they are, but the passage actually kind of indicates that they uh, had more familiarity with who Jesus was than perhaps the average person. And so, they they don't recognize Jesus. They don't know that he's been risen from the dead. Uh, but they're having a conversation, and so he just kind of hop, hop skips along, and he asks them what to talk about. And so they turn to him and they're kind of perplexed and like, uh, concerning Jesus, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and, and word before God in all people. At this point, they, they don't know that he's been risen from the dead yet. He, he told folks multiple times that he would die and he'd be raised. Uh, but perhaps, you know, his body had been, you know, stolen or, or maybe they just had it wrong. They didn't know the, the right uh, address for the uh, grave spot. Nevertheless, before they even realize who they're talking to, and it takes them a while to figure that out, um, if you go to that passage in Luke 24, uh, they regarded Jesus to his face without knowing who he was, a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Okay, okay, Jake, but maybe these disciples didn't really know the real Jesus. You know, that maybe they're too at a glance. Uh, they, they wouldn't know him not like his own disciples. If anyone would uh, be able to verify whether Jesus was the prophet, whether Jesus was legitimate or just simply a fraud, surely they would have the tell-all story, especially if there were some things that were being ascribed to Jesus that weren't entirely true. Well, as we read in Acts 3, after the resurrection has taken place, Peter and John have just healed the lame beggar at Solomon's a portico. A portico is uh, sort of a, a porch. Um, so, so they see this healing take place, and the people are amazed, and they start coming around them. Uh, and then Peter starts preaching, uh, and this is in Acts 3. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, Has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of who? All the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel to those who came after him, also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from
3: your wickedness.
2: And so even those who had a closer relationship with Jesus, who would have been able to spill the tea on even just one of his flaws, had he any, Pointed to Jesus not only as the final prophet, but as the final fulfillment of these
3: prophecies. Do you know what that means?
2: Everybody Jesus came into contact with had absolutely no reason to doubt him. From the people who were far off to those who were closest, to those who hated him, to those who were healed by him. It all points to the fact that Jesus is the prophet, the prophet that Moses pointed the people of Israel back to at the end of his life. Moses was the greatest prophet, but Jesus proved to be even greater than him. Moses performed numerous miracles. Jesus performed even greater miracles than him. Moses and the prophets pointed to the final prophet. Jesus is that final prophet who came and fulfilled, and this is a conservative estimate, well over 300 prophecies with even more to fulfill when he
3: comes again. What are you waiting for? What are you looking forward to?
2: I know that for some of us, Christmas time is something we really look forward to. Like We we have our traditions, uh, Grace's family, my wife, uh, they visited us this this weekend and we did Thanksgiving and Andrew's family Christmas uh, in a span of like two or three days. That's a tradition I look forward to. And some of us have had our houses decked out with Christmas decorations since October. I know. (laughs) I've seen them. Uh, But for others of us, uh,
3: Christmas can be a really tough time. Maybe because there is relational tension with certain people. Or maybe
2: because there's a special friend or family member who's not going to be able to take their spot at the table. I want you to know that Aaron, Bridget, the elders, and I really look forward to walking through this season with you. Remember, not only did we light the hope candle today, that is also the prophecy candle. And so as the people of God uh, in the Old Testament looked forward to the coming Messiah as, foref- as, as foretold by the prophets, who would bring them home from their exile, who would bear their griefs, carry their sorrows, be, trans, uh, uh, be pierced for their transgressions. And as the first century witnesses, also encountered this messiah who would be the lamb of god who would take away the sin of
3: the world would you also look forward to him
2: would you also place your hope in jesus this morning would you look would you look to christ as your all in all, as the the one true prophet who says and does what he says he's going to do, who has proved his unwavering faithfulness time and time again. Would you place your hope in him?
3: I can't think of a better way for us to apply this passage And to set our hope in
2: Christ than to take communion together this morning. As we move into uh, this time together, I just want us to make sure we know what we're doing. And what we know this is all about. This is the gospel. This is the good news of what God has done to accomplish our salvation and redemption. That while we were dead in the ground in our sins against God and others, Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And Jesus died the death that because of our sin, we deserve to die. And he was buried for three days. And he was raised to life again by the power of God. If you are a Christian, and if you're a part of the Rewod of family, or if you're, you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we invite you to partake in this with us. Partaking of the bread that is Jesus' body that was nailed to the cross in our place for our sins. And drinking of the juice that is Jesus' blood that was shed for the sins of many, that by it our sins are washed away and we are washed pure and white as snow. And if, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you, if you can't come to a place where, I don't know if I can trust him as Savior, Lord, and friend, I just want you to know that we are so glad that you are here with us this morning, that we actually started Riverwood for you. And because we love you, because we want you to know him, at this point, we, we would actually ask you to abstain from taking the elements. Not to keep you from something or, or to put pressure on you, but because of what these elements mean. But if God is, is stirring something in you this morning, if, if he is perhaps by his Holy Spirit drawing you to
3: himself, even if you've been wandering for a while, I would invite you, um, come, come to me after service
2: or, or come to one of the elders. And we want to pray with you and walk with this, uh, th- this process with you. If today becomes your spiritual birthday, we would love to be part of that. We would love for today to be the day that you place your hope and trust in Jesus.
3: Let us take these elements together.